0: Hello and welcome to the Brookwood Church Sunday Message Podcast. Today our senior pastor, Perry Duggar, will deliver a message about how we can ready ourselves for Jesus' inevitable return. So go ahead and open up your Bible or your Bible app to Luke 12, 35-48 so that you can follow along with the message. You can also find our weekly message outline and many other resources on our website at brookwoodchurch.org or on our Brookwood app. Our prayer is that this message would be a blessing for you today.
1: How often do you have that thought that Jesus is coming soon? And what effect does it have on you? Open your Bibles if you have the life of Jesus to reading 124. We continue our series called The Life of Jesus. If you're new at Brookwood, I urge you to buy a book, $5, and read along this summer as I said, try to read the whole book. You're reading it section by section. Now get the whole of Christ's life. Because what we're trying to do is to eliminate our preferred projections about the Savior. And rather, we want to know Jesus as he's revealed and presented in the Scripture, which is usually somewhat different. But we want to know him truly. Today's message. Is entitled, Return. And we'll focus on Jesus' return to earth, which most of us refer to as what? Second coming. Second coming. If you take out your message guide, there is a theme verse on top of the outline. And it's taken from Luke 12, 40, which is part of today's reading. The Son of Man is coming at an hour that you Do not expect. See, the Bible teaches very plainly that Jesus will return to earth to gather his people, Matthew 24, 30 and 31, to establish his kingdom on earth, to punish the wicked, and to end human history, to end the world as we know it. Now, many of us do not think much of the impending return of Jesus but it is an essential doctrine of our faith. Far too many of us have an earthbound faith with human-centered theology that is focused almost exclusively on this present life. But this material world is passing away. Various translations of James 4.14 in the Bible describes this life, this physical life, which is everything to us, as a mist, a fleeting vapor, the morning fog, or smoke. And yet, we invest in this material world as though it were permanent, Yet few of us live to a hundred. And a lot of us are more than halfway there. Didn't get It got here quickly, though, didn't it? The scripture promises us that what Jesus has planned for our eternal future is far more blessed. Than this present life can offer. Now understand that's that's an issue of faith. Because we haven't seen it yet. We only have the here and now. But we must know that the here and now is very brief. And we can't focus all of our interest and all of our energies on preserving this life. Because it is slipping away. The second coming is both certain and uncertain. It's certain because it's predicted through Old Testament prophecy and the words of Jesus as well as several of the writers in the New Testament. But it's also uncertain because no one, including Jesus himself, knows when it will occur. Only the Father knows the day and the time of return, Matthew 24, 13. But Jesus could come today. And when I say it's imminent, it means it could come right now. It could come before this service ends. So we must be prepared. How do we prepare for Jesus' return? And that's what's focused on reading, on what reading 124 is focused on. First, we must remain ready. Be ready for service. That's a, a pretty good illustri- I mean, um, interpretation of the Greek in terms of meaning, but it's nowhere near literal. Literally, a literal translation of the, the Greek there would be, let your loins be girded. You know what that means? Let your loins be girded. Do you know what it means? <laughs> okay. Remember. Wait a minute. I'm missing something. I'm missing something. I shouldn't miss. I should miss it, huh? They wore these long flowing robes. And so if they were working in the fields or if they were trying to run or even move around, they would bind these robes to themselves. They would wrap them through their legs and wrap them around and put a sash or a belt. That was girding your loins. You understand? <laughs> I've got some smart alecks over here and I don't trust them so I'm not calling on them and asking them what they're saying. But it's just like in uh, in Exodus when the the Jews were told be prepared to go gird up your loins get ready to go and he also says and have your lamps lit which obviously referred to these little oil lamps but but the light of, often refers to knowledge to awareness to information so i think i think implicit in this is also Don't be ignorant of this truth. So have your loins girded and have your mind illuminated and be ready. How many of you are ready? Jesus was urging his followers to be dressed for action, be prepared to move and to work and remain aware of his arrival. Verse 36. You must be like people waiting for their master to return from the wedding banquet so that when he comes and knocks, they can open the door for him at once. Now, weddings in ancient Israel did not start or stop at a specific time. You know when they started? When the food was ready. They didn't live by the clock the way we do. So when the food was ready, someone would be sent out, many would be sent out to summon the guests. And the celebration was of an indeterminate time. You know what determined when the wedding celebration ended? When the food ran out. That's why I remember when Jesus' mother told him, why don't you do something and go make some wine or something, you know. They're running out of food here in Cana of Galilee. And so these people waiting on the master to return from the wedding wouldn't have known the time. They would not even have known the day he would arrive. So they had to stay alert, stay awake, be aware so that when he knocked on the door, they were ready to open it. You'd hate to be a slave in a household that left the master locked outside overnight, wouldn't you? So that's the, that's the issue. Blessed are those slaves Whom the Master will find alert. And the word alert in the Greek just means that to keep awake, to watch, to be vigilant. That he'll find alert when he comes. Now, who does the Master represent? Represents Jesus or even God. But because he's the Master, there's implicit in that that. He is the creator. A master owns the slaves. Well, God, our creator, owns our lives. So in that sense, we are his slaves. You think, well, you know, we have such a bad connotation for it. And and in this country, it deserves a bad connotation. You see what I'm saying? But in this respect, biblically, we are the slaves of God because we are owned by God. He created us and we are responsible to him. For how we use our lives. He continues. I assure you. He will get ready. Again same word. He will gird himself. So when Jesus comes. He will gird himself. Have the slaves. Representing us. Recline at the table. Then come and serve them. That's almost a little strange. Isn't it? So Jesus comes and he promptly serves us. If he comes in the middle of the night or even near dawn, literally the second or the third watch, and finds them alert, blessed are those slaves. See, Jews observed three watches of the night. First watch was 6 to 10 p.m. Second was 10 p.m. to 2 a.m. Third watch was 2 to 6 in the morning. So the master could have come, you know what he's saying, the master might even come in the middle of the night, but you better be ready. And if the master found them alert, found them watching, found them aware, he would serve them. It's interesting, in it? Jesus did the very thing before the Last Supper started. He became the servant. He washed the disciples' feet. He'll do it again at what's called the Marriage Feast of the Lamb. The Messianic Banquet is is spoken of in Luke 13 and Luke 14 and Luke 22 and Revelation 19. But we're honored. We're the guests. And Jesus, who has served us through His death, through His resurrection through his salvation of us you see has served us and may even serve us serve us literally in that setting then jesus changes his illustration from a returning master to a robbed homeowner but know this if the homeowner had known at what hour the thief was coming he would not have let his house be broken into. Now, as I've told you, limestone is everywhere in the Middle East. And many of the houses were actually caves that were dug into the hillside. But the part that showed was made of mud and thatch. Sometimes the entire house was made of mud and thatch. So thieves, they didn't have to come through the door or the window a thief could actually dig through the wall. But if the homeowner knew, he could stop it. And you must be ready. You also be ready because the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. See, we don't expect a thief to come, right? Thieves surprise us. They come in the night. They come when we're asleep. They come when our home is empty. And he's saying, you need to be prepared and see Jesus as a thief. Not because he steals from you, but because he's going to come when you least expect it. So be awake. Be aware. And we're not told when he'll return. In fact, as I said at the beginning of the message, he doesn't know when he returns. The Father ordained the time and the day. And the Son doesn't even know. So because of that, we have to be ready, aware, awake all the time. So if you want to prepare for Jesus' return... You have to be dressed appropriately. In other words, you need to be girded up. But the clothing I'm really referring to is you need to be clothed in righteousness. So you're ready to go with him. He will return. The sky will split one day. And he will gather his own. Will you be ready? Will you be properly clothed in righteousness? We have to have our lamps lit, which means we've been illuminated by the truth of the gospel. That we're aware of his imminent return. So our eyes are always focused skyward. And that means our lives are lived heavenward. Is your life being lived heavenward right now? Are you firmly rooted in this place? Changes your approach, doesn't it? And we must be awake. and We must be alert. We have to be watching for his return, which means doing what he expects as we wait. All right, reflect on the past week. What if Jesus had returned any time during this past week? What would he have found you doing? And would you have? have been pleased to be caught in the act? And would he have been pleased to catch you in the act? You see what I'm saying? We, do, we act differently. We know guests are coming. What happens? You know guests are coming. This, what do you do? You clean up your house. Well, your guests know your house doesn't always look like that. Well, what if you know when the boss is coming to see you? What do you do? You quit playing solitaire. You quit chatting and, and browsing and all that stuff. You know, surfing the web. You'll be surfing for a job. You get caught surfing the web, you know, when the clock, when the, you're on the clock. But we, we act differently when we know the boss is coming, when we know the guests are coming. Why don't we act differently when we know the Lord and Savior is coming? If Jesus returns today, preferably this week, because y'all are all in your church mood now, will He find you alert and ready for His arrival? Are you? Do you have an impression of what I'm asking you? To prepare for Jesus' return, respond faithfully. Lord Peter asked, Peter was always asking, acting as the spokesman. Did anybody see where they took a vote and made him the boss? <laughs> Does anybody know someone who just assumes that they are the boss and the spokesman? Well, it's, he's like that. Are you telling this parable to us or to everyone? He wants to feel a little special, don't you see that? In other words, Who should be expecting your return? Are you coming to us? Or are you coming to all this bunch? Remember there's thousands of people in the group listening closely. closely. To whom will you return? And Jesus didn't even answer him directly. Have you noticed that? Sometimes when you ask God ridiculous questions what does he provide as the answer nothing jesus merely continued by telling another parable that involved two servants one faithful and another unfaithful the lord said who then is the faithful now this word faithful is a is a greek word pistos and it represents a believer because faith and belief and trust are all from the same Greek origin. So this represents a believer. So who is the faithful and sensible? And this represents a, a believer with godly wisdom. Who is, who is thoughtful. So who is the faithful and sensible manager? It's a key word. Whom his master will put in charge of his household servants to give them their allotted food at the proper time. So one of these servants, one of these slaves, has been elevated to be over the others. And so the faithful and the wise manager is the Christian who faithfully and fairly cares for all whom God has made him responsible or her responsible and to give the appropriate portion which I think includes both physical and spiritual food at the proper time the way the master instructed so who's represented here do you think you're represented raise your hand if you think you're represented as a manager we don't have enough managers in this room Here's who I think managers are mature believers who are discipling younger, newer Christians, which includes you teaching what you know to someone who knows less. So it includes how many of us? All of us. It includes believers with resources, which, how many American believers have resources? Who in this room has no resources? Mm -mm. If you compare us globally, we're all wealthy. We're all wealthy. So this includes believers with resources providing for the poor, the needy. And it includes physically, financially, but also spiritually. It includes believing parents leading their children to Christ. Parents, this is foolishness to let your child choose his or her own way. You are called to be a faithful, a sensible manager of those to whom you've been given charge. And if you feed them physically, you sure ought to be feeding them spiritually. And you ought to be guiding their paths. I... Some of you are going to have some awful heartache when your children rebel. And you won't know how it happened. You're a manager. It includes pastors. Small group leaders who are leading the groups that God's given them. But there are other applications as well. Know this. I want you to understand this about this scripture. The Bible is inspired. It's divinely true. That doesn't mean every application that I make is absolutely divinely true. You understand? So you need to know what his word says and you ought to listen to me and see what God tells you. Because his God's application to you is inspired. You understand? And you're responsible for it. But when I take an application, see, I'm trying to figure out what's it say, what's it mean, what would it mean today? And the last part's the application. And you ought to be doing that every time you read a verse, read a passage. What does it say? What does it mean in the original context? What does it mean to me? In other words, what's my application? Verse 43. Blessed is that slave whom his master, when he comes, will find at work. When Jesus does return, he will bless or or show favor or grace on those who have faithfully carried out his will. I tell you the truth, he will put him in charge of all of his possessions. Our faithfulness on earth... Your faithfulness on earth, fulfilling God's assignments, will determine your responsibility in heaven. This idea that in heaven you lay around on clouds and angels, little bitty angels fly around and play harps, that's foolishness. There's productivity in heaven. I don't know the whole nature of it. Are we involved with what happens still on earth? I don't know. I don't know that. But I do know God... God's calling into the eternal realm is purposeful. It's meaningful. It's productive. You know how you find your greatest joy when you're productive in that which you're gifted to do? It'll be even more so in heaven. So do you know your earthly assignment? How many of you know your earthly assignment? Come on, I can see all the way back now with light. All the way at the top. Do you know your, hold them up. Do you know your earthly assignment? Are you faithfully fulfilling it? Because you're earning your residence, your occupation in heaven. To prepare for Jesus' return, you should also refuse indifference. Verse 45, but if that slave says in his heart, my master is delayed in his coming and starts to beat the male and female slaves and to eat and drink and get drunk. See, this is the manager who has some responsibility over some others. But instead of dutifully carrying out that responsibility, what's he say? He's not coming anytime soon. I don't see any evidence that he's coming soon. So I'm going to do what? I want to do what I want to do. We call this out of sight, out of mind. He thinks he'll never be caught. He doesn't see any evidence that the master's coming soon. So, so he just falls back on what he thinks, what he wants. Because he's indifferent to the master. You see what I'm saying? He's disloyal to the master. He lacks a relationship that would hold him responsible to fulfill the master's desires even in his absence. You understand what I'm saying? In your marriage... Your spouse is traveling out of town and you know he or she's gone for five days. So does that mean you can just be drunk, smoke dope, have affairs? To some people it does. Because the relationship is lacking. You see what I'm saying? When the relationship is real, it doesn't matter whether the spouse is in the house, out of the house, out of town for a week, a month. doesn't matter the relationship is real cuz you're going to live and do you're going to live by what you know is true and whatever you are doing displays what you truly think you say this isn't like me yeah, well it's, it is it's more like you than your behavior when you're being watched you seeing you got what i'm saying So, see, he thought the master wasn't going to notice and wouldn't know. So, what does he do? He starts beating the other slaves. He goes in the storehouse and he drinks all the wine. He eats all the food. He doesn't even give them any. He just consumes everything he can get his hands on, thinking, nobody's catching me. Because, see, he doesn't have any compassion on these others, even though they're the master's slaves, too. He should care for them relationally. We're in the same place with the master. What I have is what you have. In fact, I ought to be willing to take less so you can take more. But the slave manager is self-centered. He, see, he doesn't want to get caught by the master. No, he doesn't want to get caught. But he doesn't want to obey. He wants to satisfy whose appetites? His own. So he just eats and drinks. He consumes the master's resources without a thought for anybody else. Well, who does this person represent? Jesus told the story. So we got to think, okay, in Jesus' setting, who's being represented here? Anybody have an idea? Somebody yelled Jews, but I think it's a class of Jews. It's Pharisees, see? They were put in charge of the people. They were supposed to care for the people. They were supposed to feed the people. They were supposed to meet the people's spiritual needs. They were supposed to help them toward God, right? So I think he's talking about the Pharisees in his day. Well, I wonder who it applies to in our day. Because it has an application then and an application now. I think it symbolizes any of us who are indifferent about what God wants for us or from us. Any of us who are unconcerned about others. Any of us who are interested in serving our own desires and appetites. Is that fair? So how many of us have forgotten That Jesus will return. How many of us. Are living. Consuming all of God's resources. Uncaring. About others. How many of us. Have forgotten. That he'll return. And he'll say. How did you use your life. And what did you do. With all I gave you. It's interesting isn't it. How we can't find anything to give away. But if Jesus asks you. Did you have anything you could have given away? We'd have a different answer, wouldn't we? We'd have a different answer. The servant showed, the manager's, managing servant, showed his true self because he lived under the illusion that he had plenty of time to do whatever he wanted without any repercussions before the master returned. You know, there's a, there's a form of Christianity, which you know, I don't even think is Christianity, that says, oh yeah, you're born again at seven, eight. You live like hell in college and just do what you want and sow your wild oats. And then when you get older, you'll just, you'll repent and you'll come back. That's not Christianity. That's not Christianity. Well, I'll turn to God when I'm older. When I get married, I'll be faithful. When I, get, when, I, when I reach this age, I'll stop abusing all these things. Once you start abusing substances, do you just quit because you got a little older? Some of you have experience. All of us have some kind of experience because we all can be abusive of something. But you just wonder, well now I'm I'm, I'm a responsible age, I'm stopping. No, you're meeting an emotional need that only God should be meeting in you. And it's not going away. In fact, as life's pressures get heavier, you're likely to rely on it more, not less. You see? We're doing the same thing anytime we're grabbing something in this world to try to fill a need from the other world. And there's a lot of different places. It's easy to see alcohol, drugs, but no, it's power, it's position, it's ownership of stuff, it's materialism, it's popularity. It's, oh, I got to be a celebrity. You see what I'm saying? It's anything that's being shoved in a place that does not belong. And the real problem, ultimate problem, is that no one knows When he or she will die, or when Jesus will return. No one knows. Verse 46 that slave's master will come on a day when he does not expect him, and at an hour he does not know. Now, look at this he will cut him to pieces and assign him a place with the unbelievers. What a drastic statement. Aren't we surprised? such a harsh statement would even be there? The unfaithful and unwise slave manager would be caught unprepared. And he'll receive a drastic, a severe punishment, which symbolizes God's judgment on the unsaved. You know, sometimes I I read the passage and I say, gosh, I mean, I'm embarrassed by that. I hate to tell the people that. That's why I want the book in your hand. So you say, this isn't Perry's opinion. There it is. Cut him to pieces. You'll be cut off from God. We don't imagine what that's like to be cut off from God. But that's what hell is. Hell's being cut off from God. See, we think, oh, I hope I don't get physically beaten or mistreated. Mm-mm. The worst that can happen is cut off from God. Do you understand that? Because in him we have at least the common grace and we have hope. And this man was assigned a place with unbelievers. So this is, this is a reference to hell or Gehenna where separation from God is forever. Isn't it interesting how we don't want to give up any of what we call fun in this world for eternity in the next? See how short-sighted that is? And Jesus indicated that this is an interesting um, statement. Now, this is a parable. So everything in a parable isn't, isn't rock-solid theology, but it but it's, it's a suggestion. It's an idea. But it seems to indicate that the severity of punishment will differ according to people's knowledge of the master's will. See, the first slave knew what the master wanted. He was the manager and he was defiant of the master's will. He was disobedient. He was even cruel toward others. So, if this represents the religious leaders in Jesus' day, which I think is a good, a good suggestion, perhaps in our day it represents someone who really does know the Bible's teaching, but lives in rebellion to it all, and has a responsibility of doing something with it to serve God, and isn't serving God at all with it. Is that fair? You think about What do you think John? Is that fair? You think about that. The next slave was indifferent of the master's desires. But not cruel toward others. And, and, and not unrestrained in his appetites. And the, that slave. This, uh, the next slave. Who knew his master's will. And didn't prepare himself to do it. Or do it. Will be severely beaten. He didn't consume the resources. He didn't defy the master's will, you know, his explicit directions, but he did just disobey. Now perhaps this represents the Jew, just the common Jews in Jesus' day. They knew about about God, about Yahweh. They knew the law. They knew, not like the Pharisees knew it, but they knew how they were supposed to live, but they didn't do it. Today, Perhaps it represents... Well, you think about who you think it represents. My suggestion is a churchgoer who doesn't live an outwardly evil life, just lives a self-directed life. Not cruel to others, just living his own life. But he'll be beaten, but fewer. Fewer. So the master would come and find him unprepared and he'd receive a severe beating, but but it's less drastic than the manager's treatment. The third slave was ignorant of the master's desires, but he also disobeyed. But the one who did not know and did things deserving of blows will be beaten lightly. Ignorance of the master's will didn't prevent this slave's punishment, but, but the punishment was less. Who do you think these people are in Jesus' day? Perhaps the Gentiles. They weren't Jews. They didn't live where they were taught the law, but they still were held by the inner law. People know what's right and wrong, don't they? whether they've ever been to church, whether they've ever read a word of the Bible. There's an inner law. That's why, had a, if you just evolved, there would be no law. It's just, you know, whatever you want. You see what I'm saying? But today, would it be a person, even in our culture, who has not heard the good news? It's not an escape, but it's less punishment. But it's still... Separated from God. Much will be required of everyone who has been given much, and even more will be expected of the one who has been entrusted with more. You see, well, I don't, that, that that you said a minute ago about people not knowing, read Romans 1, read Romans 2, you'll see what I'm talking about. According to this parable, the degree of punishment for unbelievers is directly related to their knowledge of God's truth. No one in this room is, is ignorant of God's truth. And even though ignorant, complete ignorance doesn't excuse sin, it's, it, according to this parable, now is it a doctrinal statement? I'm not sure, but it, it lessens punishment. But for you who do know, Do you know what God wants from you? Do you? Let's see some heads. Y'all know I can see every one of your faces. Do you know what God wants from you? Do you know what God wants for you? Are you obeying his will or are you indifferent? Living a self-directed life. See the difference? I had a good friend. Died about a year ago. A brain tumor. If he ever wrote a note, he would always sign it. Perhaps today. This friend had a pulpwood business in in Georgia and he would make his living, but he was able to go and he just did mission work all over the world. He never married, he just, he just served God all over the world and then he was taken out at 57, 58. But he really did live with his eyes skyward. He really did live in the expectation of perhaps Today. He wasn't weighted down. He wasn't firmly rooted. You see what I'm saying? Whatever he had, you could have. I'm not sure that God didn't just take him home earlier. I don't know. Not minimizing cancer, of course. What about you? Do you want to be a faithful servant of God who is eagerly awaiting the return of His Son? Do you? Y'all answer me out loud. Do you? Well, here's my suggestion. Look up. Live with that awareness. Counselors will be here at the front. If you... If you say, you know, I don't, I, I'm, I'm one of those slaves, and I fear which one. I know I'm not living for Christ, and there'll be counselors here at the front who will be happy to, to talk with you, to pray with you, to pray for you. If you say, well, I'm, I'm struggling physically or emotionally, would someone anoint me with oil and pray for me? We'll be happy to do that too. So they'll be here as long as you need them. Father God, help us to recognize when we're looking around instead of looking up. For we know that our lives are following our eyes. Lord, help us to want our eyes filled with the expectation of your arrival. Not the other things we can grasp around us. Lord, this morning I pray you'd save many who don't yet know you. In Christ's name, amen. Thank you for coming.
0: Here at Brookwood Church, our desire is to assist you in pursuing a relationship with Jesus so that you can experience transformed life. If you have questions about this message or you would like to request prayer, we encourage you to visit our website at brookwoodchurch.org forward slash get help. You can find our message archives on our website or on our Brookwood app. Thank you so much for listening and have a blessed day.